everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We are so pleased you are with us for this exceptional interview with author CJ Box. Get ready for another episode full of information and new ideas for readers and authors. We want to encourage your writing success. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce to you my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Hi, Kathy, and I have a fabulous co-host too. We are so thrilled CJ Box is on the line with us. Hi there, CJ. Hello there, oh, how are you? Hello. <laughs> it is my great pleasure to introduce CJ Box to our listening audience and to our participants. CJ Box is an avid outdoorsman. He is a number one New York Times bestselling author of over 30 novels, including the Joe Pickett series. He has won many major literature awards, including the Edgar Allan Poe Award for the Best Novel. His novels have been translated into 30 languages, and in the U.S. alone, his books have sold over, you got it, 10 million copies. TV series based on his books include ABC's Big Sky, of which he was the executive producer, Big Sky is now in season two and was based on his Cassie DeWell novels, starting with The Highway. And most recently, in December 2021, Paramount Plus released a new TV series based on his popular Joe Pickett book series. His website is cjbox.net. His books are available there, as well as major booksellers and NLS Talking Books Bard. Today, on Writing Works Wonders, we are honored to have as our guest, author C.J. Box. My pleasure to be here. It was a little dicey. Where we live in Wyoming is on a little ranch, and we've been pounded by snow this week. And not until about a half an hour ago did we get our road clear enough that it opened it up. So we've been, <laughs> it's been a, a wild week, so I'm glad to have made it. Yes, we're so glad you did. We are honored. So let's get started. You are a widely respected author of books that take place in the West and several series. Would you tell us a little bit about who CJ Box really is, about your life in Wyoming? Sure. Well, I mean, I'm a uh, husband and a father and a grandfather, and I had, uh, in effect, two careers before the books really took off. My first book, Open Season, uh, was published in 2001, and up until then, I had worked um, a lot of different jobs, ranches, fishing guide. I was involved with the tourism industry in Wyoming in international tourism. My wife and I owned a company that promoted tourism from Europeans to the Rocky Mountains for 24 years. But to start it all out, I was a journalist originally. I actually started kind of working on manuscripts in secret way back then, you know, 20 years before I actually had a book published. My first book was published when I was 40 years old. And then since then, there have been at least one a year, some every other year. It's the best job I've ever had. And what I found that's really been helpful, I didn't plan for this, but my, my time in journalism and in tourism, which meant a lot of driving around the region, the state, taking uh, foreign tour operators and journalists 
around on adventures, summer and winter, was a great training ground for, for what I write about now. There's no way I could have done that kind of research on my own for the books themselves. So it was like everything I ever did kind of led to what my career is now. And I couldn't be more thrilled that the books have been so well received. I still love it. It's my favorite thing. I don't even think of it as work. The work is when the book is edited and copy edited and I have to read it again and go over it again. But the creation of the book is my favorite thing in the world. And that's part of my next question. Which part of, of your life is mirrored in the Joe Pickett character? Is your life in any way mirrored through him? One thing I cannot quite figure out is how authors can write about characters that are wholly unlike themselves. I can't do it. I draw on, on the fact that I do live in Wyoming, always have. I live in a small town, so the saddle string and where I live is very, very similar. Had three daughters like Joe Pickett. Joe Pickett is not me, but I've certainly used my life experience to inform Joe Pickett as well as the other characters in the books and even Cassie Duell in that series. So obviously you've got to draw from your own experiences and, and research and feelings and point of view to write, I think, authentically and have it read authentically. But there's a lot of differences between Joe Pickett and I, but I certainly still do love to write the character. I just finished the 21st Joe Pickett novel not that long ago. It's going to be out this March. And it's just as much fun writing about Joe Pickett now as the very first book, um, even though he's older, a little wiser, a little kind of stiff and sore because he's getting older and can't ride a horse as long as he used to, that kind of thing. But still really enjoy the character and try to use my experiences in the books when I write about things that I'm not familiar with, like climbing a wind turbine or other things. I always still try to go out and do those things before I write about it so that I can do it from a, a realistic point of view. And I always learn things when I go out and put on my old journalist hat and go out and talk to people as I'm researching a book. So I still love that. Isn't it wonderful to love what you do? Absolutely. Joe Pickett, yeah. And the Joe Pickett, he's the antithesis of a modern hero. And why do you think that he resonates so much with the audiences today? Wow. You know, it was never strategic, never sat down to write a series, much less to create a character that would be around for 21 books and be embraced by readers. I just tried to be as authentic as I could with the character and the family. And I do remember working on the very first book thinking, who's my friend? I knew what the plot would be. Would it be about endangered species and uh, bureaucracies and, and well-intentioned laws that don't work so well on the ground? That's the plot of Open Season. But it took, it took a long time to come up with the character of Joe Pickett as a game warden. I came up with that after doing ride-alongs with a local game warden when I was a, a local newspaper reporter. And I saw that the game warden's life was the perfect kind of launching pad for the book because they do, in fact, live in small state-owned homes. Their families are with them. Their wives are often unpaid and unrecognized assistants to everything they do. Kids are involved. It was a perfect kind of protagonist. And I didn't want to write another hard-boiled PI kind of character and somebody who uh, never lost a fight or figured everything out and always had to drop on the bad guy. I wanted someone much more vulnerable and realistic because I think that increases the tension in the books to know that 
he could screw up and does screw up quite often. It's been very rewarding over the years to find out that my readership is about 50-50 men and women. That's very Mm -hmm. unusual for any author or for any series. And my publishers are still kind of amazed by that because they don't have any other authors that are exact split of readership and ages. So that's Mm -hmm. been really rewarding. And I think because Joe Pickett is a relatable kind of guy and his family is has grown up through the series. I think a lot of women readers and girl readers have things to latch onto as well and at least enjoy. For a while, I did write a character named Cody Hoyt, who was kind of the hard-bitten alcoholic PI. I found myself kind of getting bored with that character because so many other people Mm. have done it. Joe Pickett is pretty unique. I was first introduced to your books through the other series. That ah. was, uh, that's a different type. Yeah, it is. It's very, especially The Highway. The book, The Highway is the creepiest thing I've ever read. Uh-huh, that is. And today, I, I believe you're going to hear that you have quite a mix of men and women here today who are with us. Was it always a dream of yours to be an author? Did you think of this at a young age? How did that come about? I think if you're a writer you're hardwired to be a writer. Mm. And even if you don't ever get anything published or you go different directions. And I I remember as a young boy, probably 10 or 12, being in the local library in Casper, Wyoming, and walking up the the stacks in the B section to see where my book (laughs) will be someday, even though obviously that's nonfiction instead of fiction. But I think from very early age, I was just hardwired to write. Although for many years of my life, the first 40, I thought that direction was, was journalism and reporting as opposed to fiction. But I'm glad it worked out because it, there's nothing more fun. I kind of shy away from like seminars, how to be a writer, how to write, because I, I'm not comfortable with it because I, I honestly do think that you can't teach somebody to write unless mm-hmm. it's somewhat hardwired and ingrained already. You can hone it. Mm-hmm. But to take somebody who's not a writer and make them a writer is beyond my skill. That's for sure. Now I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Kathy. She's been in academia and in writing. So, Kathy, what an intro right into you now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Hey there, CJ Box. Great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're gracious. Your descriptions of nature and wildlife are vivid and very moving. I have to say, I really enjoy them. Makes it feel like you're right there. I think they're different than journalism would be. You've honed a different craft with your novels than you would have been using in your journalistic career, I believe. How did you develop that style and attention to detail? Oh, you know, that's a good question and a hard one to answer. I like to write nature writing But even that word probably turns some people off because they assume it's page after page of description and purple prose. And I go by Elmore Leonard's first number one rule of writing, and that is leave out the parts readers skip, meaning (laughs) huge blocks of text where the writer is, in a sense, kind of showing off how well they can write and describe and use words. I think it's much more important to think about putting the reader into the story And in order to do that, I think it's important to set the scene. Since all of my books take place outside, I always make it a a point to, you know, say, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What is the temperature? What is the light like? What what does the landscape look like? How does it feel? But do it in as few words and as succinctly as possible 
to set the scene and then move on. I have overwritten at points and usually in the first draft. And then when I go through the manuscript, I start just slashing away. What can I get rid of? How can I boil it down to its essence without going on and on and on? Because if I'm getting bored with my writing, then certainly a reader will. So I just try to, like I said, set the scene, make the reader feel like they are there so that when things happen, they're a lot more involved. Excellent. Excellent. That's excellent advice. And you know what you said earlier and reiterated here in another way, the editing process is the hardest part. The exciting part is getting it the first draft, getting the idea down there on paper. The editing process is so much work, but that is where you draw in that reader, keep their attention. And in your case, lay down that stream of clues and twists for us to be intrigued and carry on. And you do it so very well. Thank you. One other thing about that too, about nature writing and outdoor is I try not to sugarcoat nature, but describe it as it is. You know, it's it's pretty amoral and pretty rough, but I think it renders it more realistic. I mean, there is, it's not a Bambi world out there. And those are the kind of things I want to convey in the books too. For example, yesterday while trying to dig our way out of our ranch, a local game warden called and said, a wounded elk has spotted on your land. If you see it, call us. And right after they called, there was was an elk, his front leg broken and flopping around, running across the snow at our place. That's rough stuff. You know that that elk Mm -hmm. is going to die and not much anybody can do about it, but that's, that's the way it is. And that's the kind of thing I like to write about. Excellent example. Thank you for that. We'd like to ask a bit about your TV productions, because this is different. We haven't had many authors on the show that their work have been turned into TV series. And we know that this experience varies greatly by author, but your involvement in the TV series and the TV shows about your books, some book authors write the screenplay, some write the script, some direct, some produce. Others have very little involvement. How was it for you? How how was that experience? And did you have different experiences in the two different series? Well, I'm kind of in the midst of it now. So I don't have a lot of retrospective views on it. It's it's such a strange thing to write books for 21 years and and suddenly have two television shows on at the same time. I'm an executive producer on each show, which means I get a check for every show. But that doesn't mean I'm on the set. And it doesn't mean I'm writing anything. I feel like my job, as far as the TV shows go, is to provide the source material, step back, and then cash the checks that they send me. I compare it to writing is like being in a drift boat by yourself going down the river. And TV production is like being on a mega cruise ship with so many people involved, very collaborative. All sorts of people have their fingers in it. All sorts of people have their own views. I was on, I'm not going to say which set I was on, visiting where I heard one of the actresses say, I don't think my character would say this. And I thought, I made you up. How can you say that? How can can that be your view? I can take you out too, if I need to. But so it would drive me crazy to be on the set. Uh, the, the, The differences that I see between the two is that Big Sky, for example, has just about gone through all of the source material already. So they're starting to go off in directions that I never envisioned or didn't write. Doesn't mean they're right, doesn't mean they're wrong, but they're going on their own because they're running out of books. Whereas the Joe Pickett series that just started is going to very deliberately 
go book by book through the series, which um, mm. for a novelist is the ultimate. That's the best thing that can mm. possibly happen is to do a long form version of the books. I know they're gearing up for season two right now. Season one, I thought was fantastic. My wife and I loved it and we're looking forward to more, but I don't want to write screenplays. I don't want to direct. I just want to see the finished product and write books. So for those of us that are not familiar that much with the industry, could you describe the difference between a book and a screenplay? Well, certainly. For example, a screenplay for a one-hour television show is about 60 pages, one minute per page of dialogue and action. You know, a book is 500 pages and 80 to 90,000 words. So a screenplay is much, much more terse to the point has to leave a lot of things out when it comes to uh, basing it on a novel. There's no way around it because um, you just can't convey the, the richness of a novel on, a, on the screen. And a lot of it has to be conveyed by the actors, by how they act and talk and look. So I have written, just to see if I could do it, I have written a screenplay based on my first novel just to see what it was like. It wasn't something I enjoyed doing. I thought it was too simplistic, but I know if there's an art to it, I'm just not very good at it. I would imagine it'd be really difficult to take your own book and then chop it up and turn it into a screenplay and leave so much of it edited and in the delete file. I would think that would be very frustrating to do that yourself. It is. And the other thing is my particular writing style. I mean, I tend to write very kind of terse and brief as I can to tell the story. So I don't have a lot of extra stuff to cut in my view. So I would have a tough time transforming an entire book into a you know, 60 page treatment. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, a tough road to hoe for sure. Last question for me, CJ, is this series, you just finished your 21st book. How do you stay motivated and inspired with a series spanning that many years? What is it that keeps you motivated and inspired? Well, you know, I think inspiration is kind of the wrong word to use because that kind of suggests waking up in the middle of the night going, aha, you know, I got to, uh, whereas, you know, after this many books, it's more of a job. I go to work every day. But the thing that keeps me really going and it is kind of the format of not only the Joe Pickett books, but the Cassie Duell ones is that I always start with an issue or a controversy or like a news story hook or two or three and things that interest me. And then I go back and build the plot around that. So they're not all just whodunits. They're not simply police procedurals. They're, every book is about something that I find at the time really interesting, whether it's, you know, energy production you know, the new book, Shadows Real, that comes out in March, um, has several storylines going through it. One including, uh, I won't go on and on, but one including a real life incident where a small local library in Wyoming found that somebody had donated a photo album by a top Nazi official from World War II, just left it on their front porch. And the mystery around that, how, how it got to Wyoming, who left it, how did they get it? Those kind of things are really intriguing to me, and I like to build plots around. I can't ever say I, I've ever started a book without any ideas. There's too many out there to count, and I'm always kind of paying attention to what's going on and getting into things that are happening around me so that I can incorporate them in the next book. 
Terrific. Boy, that's a lot of great insight for our writers and I think for your readers as well. Yeah. So what would you suggest to writers who are just starting? We have experienced authors, published authors as part of our group. Do you have any suggestions for especially our new writers? A couple of things, and I don't mean this to sound as rude as it probably might come across, but I often meet fledgling authors, writers who tell me, you know, they're, they're, they've got a series planned of 12 books and they're starting it now. And, and I ask them who they read and they just, they, they just kind of look at me blankly. And <laughs> I, I'm afraid too many aspiring authors don't read widely enough, mm. um, not just books that they love, but also books that are popular that maybe they don't love, but you can learn things from the way those books are constructed. I I was kind of self-taught. I never really took a fiction writing class. I didn't have the opportunity. It didn't exist. So what I did was I took books that it really, that really affected me and sort of deconstructed them myself. What happens in the first 50 pages? How do you get through the middle, which is always the toughest part? Does the end wrap around to, you know, to make the story whole? deconstructing popular books or important books, I think is a a lot of labor, but it's really worth it, I think, for fledgling authors to see how other people did it successfully and not just assume that the voice in their head is so great that people want to hear it. Right. I agree. Thank you. Thank you so much for so much information. Now we have fans and some of our authors have questions for you. So we'll open it up now. Chanel? Carol Mackey. Hi, Carol. Thank you, Cheryl and Kathy. What a delight. I am an avid reader. I've read every one of your Joe Pickett books. Just finished Dark Sky. You're welcome. I'll say it was a little miffed at you afterwards because I wanted to close it and start listening to the next one. So I, I was waiting for the rest because there's such an obvious connection from one book to the next. Right. One major storyline in Dark Sky was concluded. The other one was uh, left open. And um, <laughs> I, did, I, I, I did that deliberately because the next book, the one that comes out in March, literally starts the next day. And it was too big of a storyline uh, to wrap up neatly in one book. It would have been a little contrived, I think. I don't normally do that with a cliffhanger or an open thread, but um, in this case, I did. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I was a little miffed at you. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to thank you. I also appreciate the research that you do. It's so obvious to me in certain areas that I have some knowledge of. Uh, horses particularly, it's like you know your research at or and obviously experience is most appreciated. Thank you. And question I have, when do you know what's coming in the next book or the book after, like with the dark sky, the example of Nate, Nate's obviously the next bit. When you know that, is it, was it two weeks before the book ended or was it, how does that process work? And also what's your daily writing practice? Thank you so much. I just, this is giving me chills. Thanks. Oh, thanks. (laughs) You know, I usually don't start thinking about the next book until the book I'm working on is done. I'm not one of those who think three or four books out, long narratives that will be wrapped up in the future. 
although dark sky was a little bit of an exception because it does leave that open thread. But usually I don't start thinking about the next book till sometimes months after the book is concluded uh, and I've written it. And the reason I do that is for a couple of reasons. One, I tend to not think that strategically long-term as far as the series goes. And the reason is, is because I think if you do that as an author, you're holding things back in the book that you're writing. And I think you should put everything into every book and not even think about the future until it gets there. Otherwise, I think a reader can sense that things are being held back. I don't want to do that to readers. And I don't like the idea of doing it myself. And I don't like reading books like that, where I think I have to, you know, how many years will it be before I find out what's going on here? Don't like that. So I wait till the book's done. And then I usually talk to my editor and say, here are the three or four ideas I have for the next book, which one will be the most natural uh, or flow the most smoothly. And we agree on that. And then I take off, go from there. My daily writing routine is I edit what I wrote the day before. I start that out and then I correct, you know, the edits and then I push forward. My goal every day is to do a minimum of a thousand words. Some days that takes an hour. Some days it takes five. And some days I can do two or three or four thousand words or more. It's more of a word count thing than an hourly thing. When I really get into the heart of the book, I find myself, even though I'm not actually actively writing, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow. Um, What do I got to fix? How am I going to push it forward? I'm not sure if this is part of your question or not, but I'm a big outliner. I start every book with, first of all, deciding on what topics I'm going to cover and then researching those and then doing an outline, a bullet point outline from page one to the very end of the book. And then when I start writing, I start writing literally on top of that outline. And that doesn't mean it won't change or the ending might be completely different, but I have a roadmap. I find that really, really helpful on days where I don't really feel like writing is at least I know where the book's going and I can push it forward. Thank you, Ralph. CJ, it's nice to meet you. Nice Um, to meet you. I have enjoyed every one of your books. Thank you. All of them. And I'm waiting for the one in March, of course. I love Nate and his sort of Ah. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, loose cannon uh, activity. I remember the the two-ear rule. That was absolutely brilliantly done with that. (laughs) Your mother, uh, I say your mother-in-law, Joe's mother-in-law, Missy. uh, I'm I'm sure that's not, I'm sure that wasn't based on your mother-in-law. I hope not. No. But anyway. I I like to say, no, my mother-in-law is worse. But that's not okay. true. I just do that. <laughs> no, I've it, it's a pleasure to hear you describe the uh, take on how you uh, process and present the books. So I can't wait for the book in March. Thank uh, you. So it's it's a pleasure to uh, listen to you comment. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next up, Tom Lillis. Good morning, CJ. Uh, Hi, Tom. Also- I also live in Wyoming. I live north of you up in Powell. So, Oh, yeah, that's quite a ways. Yeah. Um, Are you pounded with snow as well? We got snow and cold and wind. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just like you guys down there. What I really appreciate all your books. I've read them all. And uh, I'm a retired forester. And so I've lived ah. and worked in the outdoors all my life. And and I like the, the realistic settings that you 
that you work with and describe. And as I read and listen to a book, because I use uh, the Talking Books program through NLS. So it's very descriptive and I can tell that, yeah, he's been there, he's done that. And so that really adds some authenticity to your books. And I like uh, Joe Pickett's, I guess, work ethic and morals, if you will. And But I also appreciate Nate Romanowski's style <laughs> and methodology of solving problems instantly. I have also been to uh, Freedom Arms, so I know what you're talking about. And you do a good job of talking about some of the weapons that he uses, and that's pretty good. And Thank you. I, I really appreciate what you've done. And but I have a question that's more, I guess, more of a technical nature than the than the on the writing side. And me and some of the friends I have that that enjoy your books, we always have the same question: When's his next book coming out, and how can we find out what it is? On my website, which is cjbox.net, yes, there's a list of every book in order that's pretty easily accessible. Until the book is scheduled for publication, I usually don't put on the website what's next. Because sometimes, even up until the last minute, sometimes titles change and publication dates change. So until it's set in stone, we usually don't say, here's the next one. Thank you once again for being on the show today. And keep doing what you do. You do it very well. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I just want to jump in for a minute. This is Kathy. CJ, Tom Lalos is the person that clued us in that you would be a great guest to invite. We asked our community of people with visual impairment who they love to read on NLS talking books. And that's the BARD system he's talking about. That's the digital system. And he said, CJ Box is my favorite. And then we find oh, out well, there's this huge fan base in our community. Tom led the love charge. Love to hear. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> and next up, we have Holly. Hi, uh, Mr. Box. This is Holly Turry from Bellingham, Washington. And we sent you the snow so you can say thank you. Did you send us a win, too? Yes, sir. I won't thank so, you for that. Well, what I wanted to ask you, and I could look it up myself, but I'd rather ha- hear it from you. What's the first book uh, in the series about Cassie, the law enforcement lady? The first one is called The Highway. Oh, that's that's the one that scared the poop out of everybody, right? (laughs) Right. That's the creepy book. All right. I will get it and read it only in the daytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next up, we have Melody. Hi, Mr. Box. I love Joe Pickett. And the only book I've ever read, forgive me, is Trophy Hunt. Because that's, I heard it in the (laughs) Talking Book Topics magazine. I had to read it because I have an obsession with the paranormal and the phenomenon of the animal mutilations and your descriptions of the animals and what had happened as well as, you know, the fish, his Labrador, Maxine, I, I've not seen a day in my life and now have no eyes. And I felt as if I could see. Well, well, thank you. I, I would, I would let you know though, that trophy hunt of of the, all of the books is the only one that kind of goes that direction with hints of the paranormal and cattle mutilations. The rest are more straightforward, but I do remember going on the book tour afterward and meeting a surprising number of readers who had similar stories to the cattle mutilations, many of whom never told anybody about it because they didn't want anybody to think they were nuts. But I spoke to several 
doing the research from that, ranchers, um, people who grew up in rural areas who had similar stories about those mutilations that and how they occurred and with no sign of tracks or anything else. And I have no explanation for it. So I like to have conclusions and I couldn't have a conclusion on that one because there is no explanation that everyone agrees on. All right, next up, we have Don Worth. Okay, thank you, uh, Mr. Box. Uh, again, a great fan. One of the things uh, I wanted to ask you is uh, on the, the, the programs that you're working on, the, the television programs, are they audio described? You're talking to a bunch of blind people and audio description is so important to us to be able to get that out of there. I do not know if they're audio described. I've never even heard that phrase before you said it. Are network shows audio described? They this are. Is Cheryl. Then, then... Sometimes a lot, oh. a lot more. And from what I've researched, I don't believe any of them are. Um, but perhaps you can put a little plug in for audio description. And what that is, is it doesn't even interfere with the dialogue that's going on. But someone is telling us what is happening in the scene that perhaps you're seeing visually, but we can't see. Very interesting. All you that? should watch something that's, that's audio described sometime just to know what we're talking about. It's pretty neat. It's fascinating. I will be interacting with the producers of both shows and I'll bring that up because I, it's I'll something that's never- I'll send you information. <laughs> okay. And next up, we have Deborah Kendrick. Thank you. I'm a, a longtime journalist, freelance journalist. I've done newspaper and magazine work, but I'm, and I've produced tons of published work, but there was always a deadline. And mm -hmm. I'm struggling because I want to write what I want to write now. Not that I didn't want to write all those columns. I did, but I want to write fiction and I want to write memoir stuff. And I, and I struggle with putting the seat of the pants to the seat of the chair. I struggle with getting it done. First of all, if you could talk more about your daily writing schedule, because that 1000 words really struck a chord with me, like maybe that would work. The other thing is everybody has moments when it's harder to get to work. So do you have any like little secret rituals or formulae that you could share that when you're having trouble meeting deadline? By doing an outline um, ahead of time, then um, it's much easier to push ahead on days where you're just not feeling that creative or motivated. You can write simple declarative sentences to move the story forward, then go back later and backfill it as much as you need to, but you're still moving it forward that way. That's a trick I have learned on days where I just don't feel like pushing it as hard or, or is, if I know where the story's going, then I can write it forward. Um, even though it might be very simplistic that day, but then the next day I go back and edit it and add backfill. That keeps me moving forward at all times. And as far as deadlines go, hey, that's part of the publishing business. I have deadlines for every book I write, which is helpful because it focuses the mind. But before I had deadlines, I made my own. I want to have this first draft done by the end of the year. And I stuck to that. If it's all open-ended, I think it's more difficult. And next up, area code 414. Hi, this is Rhonda Lang. And nice to meet you, CJ. The first book that I read by you was Open Season, which was a computer pick from the library. And 
I tell you, I started that early in the morning and finished it before the end of the day. So I was able wow. to call the library and tell them to put you on my favorite offers list right after the first book I read. Well, thank um, you. Now, Nate, I, I love your characters. You, you make them very real. Thank- I used to have um, partial vision, so I have some idea when you talk about the, the nature stuff. It, but now that I am totally blind, it is you know it brings it all to the surface. I can see it in my mind's eye, and I love that. But I have to tell you, I'm one of those people who likes the good bad guy. So Nate is my favorite character. <laughs> and, my wife would but, say this. But I was really interested in his falconry with the falcons. I, I think that was very interesting, and I'm very fascinated by that. Thank you. And, Strangely enough, in, in the books, Nate Romanowski is based on most people, that most characters I wholly invent. Nate Romanowski is actually based on a real guy, a friend of mine from high school who was a year ahead of me in high school, who was big guy like Nate, the middle linebacker of the football team. Uh, he went off to the Air Force Academy into special forces, and he was a falconer. And I used to go falconry hunting with him. And he's still around, and all the knowledge of falconry I have is from my friend and from now from lots of falconers, readers, who keep me on the straight and narrow. But I'm fascinated with falconry. I'm not a falconer because I don't have the patience. The whole sport and art of it, I find fascinating. Thank you, everybody. Sorry we can't get to everyone. We could do this all day. So thank you so much, CJ. We appreciate you, and we appreciate your time. Thank you. We look forward to your next release, then. Now I'll turn it back over to Kathy. Okay, so we want to remind everybody that the website for CJ Box is cjbox.net. And you may find the list of his books and his series there, information about him. And you can purchase books there at major resellers. And also many of his books are available on NLS Talking Books and Bard. Thank you so much, CJ Box, for being with us today. We really greatly appreciate it. You've been a fabulous guest. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. It's my pleasure. Great questions. This was, this was fun. Thank you all. Thank you, everyone, for making this another mm-hmm. amazing episode. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service, nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.